Welcome to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, where we talk about modern challenges and future solutions. Brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things Group. Hello and welcome to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, where we talk about modern challenges and future solutions brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things Group. I am your host, Hillary Kennedy, and I am joined by Michael Blum, MD, co-founder and chief executive officer of Beekeeper AI Incorporated. He is a UCSF associate vice chancellor for informatics, executive director of the Center for Digital Health Innovation at UCSF, and a professor of medicine cardiology. So a very busy guy. And then also joining us is Chris Goff, general manager of health and life sciences at Intel. And in this role, Chris leads a worldwide team of technology leaders and subject matter experts to develop solutions that use information and communication technology to transform the health and life sciences industry. He works with companies, organizations, and governments around the world to help make this digital transformation a reality. So with over 12 years of industry experience, Chris brings deep healthcare and life sciences expertise along with a foundation in technology and its application to multiple industries. And he's been with Intel for over 20 years and was formerly both product and security architect in Intel's digital health division. So someone else who also sounds like he never has any free time. <laughs> you guys are so busy. So I want to welcome you both to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Hillary. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Well, okay, so today, health and life science institutions face business challenges around changing patient populations and evolving diseases and limited resources. So this is a timely conversation. We've got a lot of ground to cover. I want to start with something noted in the American Journal of Medicine. Healthcare organizations, or HCOs, they require a privacy-preserving framework to support the kind of data collaboration that will make tomorrow's scientific and clinical advances possible while still supporting improved patient outcomes and experiences. But unfortunately, you know, establishing this sort of framework, it has historically been a challenge. So what kinds of AI solutions meet those confidentiality requirements for healthcare and life sciences applications? Really quickly, it's super important to understand that the reason we need these frameworks is because the access to data is critically important for developing high quality AI. And that means you need very large data sets of high quality, diverse data. And that's clinical data. Um, that's patient data, which is critically important to protect. And the organizations that have it, we call them data stewards because their job is to protect that data and to leverage that data for advancing healthcare, advancing the data science, really advancing human quality of life um, through the use of that data. But the, you know, we've seen, everyone has seen in the news, all the attacks that are trying to get their hands on that data. The value of healthcare data in, you know, in the black market is very high. There's a lot of it is used for identity theft and so on. So, Healthcare organizations that have this data feel this tremendous need to protect the data while still leveraging it. And the algorithm owners have spent a lot of time and a lot of money developing these AI algorithms, so they need their AI protected. So both sides need a tremendous amount of protection for this to succeed. Traditionally, folks have tried to do that through things like de-identification, where you strip some of the data out to protect the data. Um, or using things like synthetic data to develop data that couldn't really be traced back to the original patients. 
those have a role and those are valuable. But the reality is that to develop really high quality, generalizable AI that works for every patient, despite you know what their unique location is, where the data came from, their ethnicity, um, to develop all that, you really need a, a new version of a high quality confidentiality framework. And that is a framework that would allow the data to stay as it is, as it is natively, to be protected by staying in the confidential environment where it's traditionally stored, and it would prevent exposure of the algorithm developers' intellectual property as well. And that's very different than what we've had, what we've had previously, and is pushing on the new world. And I'll let Chris give a little bit more detail around that. Yeah, I really like the term data collaboration. A lot of times when I am asked questions in this area, data sharing is is the term that's used. But I think it will learn, learn more today why maybe data collaboration is a is a more accurate term. Today in the, in the U.S., the FDA is the is the body that regulates AI solutions that are deployed uh, for clinical use. But uh, only about thirty of those AI models or AI algorithms have been have been cleared or approved approved for use uh, in this area. It's a really small number uh, when you compare it with other applications of AI. You touched on the confidentiality requirements and, and confidentiality is certainly one challenge, but I think all the, all the challenges that it, that Michael touched on around the complexity of de-identifying health information, intellectual property concerns from the algorithm owners and, you know, data ship, I'll call it data ship ownership concerns from the, from the bodies that are the stewards of the, of the data sets, you know, is my, they, a lot of them feel their data is the best data or they, or how do they get compensated for their data? So there's a lot of a lot of challenges above even above and beyond meeting confidentiality requirements that have prevented more mainstream um, deployment of AI uh, into healthcare. Yeah, I, I would have one more thing to that is you know even very large healthcare organizations don't have sufficient data on their own to really create generalizable AI. They don't have either the the diversity of the data or the quality of the data or the size. They don't have all three. So to really develop high quality AI, you need to go to multiple data stewards and that requires a federated framework where the those data stewards can still keep their data in their protected clouds, um, yet you can validate and train AI across all of those stewards in a federated way. Well, so it sounds like one of the big problems to be solved is validated AI models that respect confidentiality. Those require significant time and resource. That means anywhere from 36 months to five years at a cost of, you know, between three and $5 million, which is a lot. So what is a, an option or maybe a pathway to facilitate a solution to this hurdle? Yeah. And so it's not a hurdle. It's an unsustainable barrier. We can't take that long to develop the AI, we can't take that long to validate it. And other than very large companies, no one's got the, you know, the resources to really go down that pathway. So it's another example of where, you know, we've fallen as a, into the, you know, innovators chasm of death here where we would take way too long to do that. So we've been working with our, our partners at Intel and, um, and with Microsoft to really develop a new framework that allows that to happen using confidential computing technology that wasn't really available until just recently that involves um, secure enclaves and encryption and really keep allowing the data to stay in the cloud environment of the data steward, but be encrypted and protected. So there, there's no chance of exfiltration of the data and there's no chance of exposure 
um, of the IP um, within the algorithm as well. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that the, the couple things you mentioned, the question, the time and the cost, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of companies, AI startups, more established, you know, multinational corporations developing AI, AI algorithms that have really shifted a lot of their focus to to operational efficiency use cases and financial efficiency use cases, which are important. But um, if we can if we can reduce the friction to developing clinical algorithms that can be deployed, you know, I think I think there we're we're really moving the needle on improving outcomes and improving healthcare for patients. So hopefully, um, with with um, solutions like that, what we're going to talk about today, um, we can we can be successful there and significantly accelerate the development and deployment of those clinical algorithms in, in addition to the ones focused on. Yeah, more operational efficiency. And that's where Beekeeper AI working with Intel and working with Microsoft and Fortanix is going, developing that kind of a confidential computing platform that keeps the data secure, leaves it in the data the data own data stewards possession. So the data steward doesn't need to worry about where it's going. They don't when we talk about sharing, there's no longer sending data somewhere to share it. Now there's you can allow algorithms to access the data, but in a secure and confidential way. So our expectation is this will dramatically accelerate the um, validation and training of AI algorithms um, while still keeping all that data secure, lowering the barrier for those who really want to participate in the space. So what I, I keep hearing from you both is there needs to be a way to enable these organizations to collaborate on the actual healthcare data while still maintaining that confidentiality and security. So Chris, I want to know, how is it possible to ensure intellectual property protection of any AI model accessing that HCO data while maintaining confidentiality and security of the data? Glad you asked. Um, I think a lot of the conversations in this in this area focus on the um, protecting the privacy of the healthcare data, um, protecting the patient's privacy, which is, of course, very important. But also very important is protecting the intellectual property of the of these AI algorithms Companies are putting many millions of dollars of R and D into these algorithms. Some some kind of AI startups, you know, pretty much the entire net worth of their company is tied up in the in, in these algorithms. So the the IP concerns, IP protection of these algorithms is is um, a very justified concern. Really, the protections are the same the same as you would put in place to protect the privacy of the of the healthcare data. Uh, the data needs to be protected at rest in transit in transit and in use. For many years, we've had great, great security controls to protect data at rest and in transit, like like encryption, of course, or um, or TLS to create that encrypted channel as you're sending data uh, between um, different different computers or different servers. What is new here is the the controls that can protect data in use while it's being analyzed, while it's in memory. And so here we have something called trusted execution environments where the hardware or the CPU enforces a, uh, a trust execution environment or a secure enclave to only be able to run data sets and applications that are that are approved and attested to, to run in that um, in that environment. In this way, the the data steward or data data owner um, can't see or access the algorithm in any way while it's while it's running. And conversely, the the algorithm owner or application developer, can't see the data. The only thing that's that's returned are the derived results, and this is based on a technology that Intel has had in the market for many years, but 
but there were some really great advances that happened this year called uh, Software Guard Extensions or SGX, which is which is kind of the foundation that enables these these trusted execution environments. Well, so how can healthcare organizations address the problem? I mean, you've kind of talked about that in your answer, but I would love to know how can they kind of address what's going on and, and start tackling it head on. So that's that's the, the fundamental premise behind Beekeeper, that we're creating a platform that runs in their existing secured cloud. So most health, large healthcare organizations already have a cloud that they keep that um, you know that patient data in or any of their financial data, the revenue cycle data. So Beekeeper actually runs in that protected cloud so they don't have to do anything new. They don't have to build any new technology. And it allows the level of encryption and protection and containerization and enclaves, as Chris was just talking about, without the healthcare organizations needing to do anything dramatically different. Once they put those Beekeeper nodes in their cloud, then the algorithm developers can submit their algorithm, runs in that node, um, and keeps the data protected, keeps the algorithm protected, and prevents any exfiltration of their data because it's in that secure computing enclave. Where the goal is to create a very low barrier for entry for the healthcare organizations, and it'll encourage them to participate, generates a new revenue stream for them, um, and it lowers the the bar also, or the barrier, I should say, for the algorithm owners because they can get to that data much more quickly and much less expensively than, they, than they've had to do historically. Everybody loves to save time and money, so that's a good thing. <laughs> Win-win. Well, so I do want to touch on the topic of bias because, you know, that topic is often raised in relation to the use of data models. So can you speak to bias in AI? Yeah, it's it's actually it's interesting um, because there are a couple ways that bias can creep in, and much of it is related to the lack of data access. So, on one hand, if an organization has you know what should be a relatively unbiased data set, it's still their local data set, and it's their geography, um, and it's the way they practice. And if you develop an algorithm on that data set, the algorithm is going to understand what it sees and, and what it's exposed to. So it will develop care recommendations or patterns or alerts based on that specific data set. So it's in a way naturally biased against other places that, that practice differently. And the result of that can be that when it's exposed to the real world, the algorithm won't perform the same way and could give you biased um, recommendations because all it knows is the data set is trained on. So when you use a platform that allows you to train in a federated way against much larger multinational or certain multi-geography data sets with different ethnicities, you reduce the risk of bias either in the clinical practice or bias against certain ethnicities or geographies or cultures. So that's one of the forms of bias. The other bias that people worry about is just that there's already inherent bias built into our practice that we don't appreciate a lot. And as you develop AI, it will have that same bias built in, but now it's harder to see because when it's a, a pathway people can look at and they can say, hey, that's generating a little bit of bias there because of the way you've made the decision. But when it's automated and it's built into AI, people worry that now the bias is, is automatically injected into the system. That's an active area of study and is going to require a lot more development in the data science space. So the algorithm developers always watching for that. So two pieces, again, one is the data needs to be broad so the data doesn't have the biases. And as the data scientists are developing, they're going to need to watch out for that as well. 
I think the fantastic part is that in today's world, people are thinking about it, they're talking about it. So the algorithm developers will be paying attention. And then with the platform, we can remove some of the inherent bias that's in the data. Absolutely. It sounds like it's really moving in the right direction. Yes, it's, it's, it's well said. I mean, if, if you can reduce the friction to accessing different diverse data sets with good you know, racial, ethnic, and gender diversity across multiple populations and, and use those data sets uh, as part of the training step, the, the, uh, then the algorithm that results will be more accurate for, for that broad, diverse, multi-set, well, multiple population, patient population, the multiple data sets representing those, those populations. It's really about generalizability to, yep. to the real world. Well, so I would love to talk a little bit about, uh, and Chris, you'll be a great person to answer this. Can you tell us about healthcare and technology partners working as consortiums to meet development and confidentiality concerns? Sure. Well, there's one consortium that where Intel was a, was a co-founder. Uh, this is part of the Linux Foundation called the Confidential Compute Consortium. And this this is really a community face, uh, focused on open source licensed projects that secure data in use, like I talked about before, and accelerates the adoption of confidential computing. So it's really all about making making the use of those trusted execution environments easier and more pervasive through an open standards, open source uh, ecosystem approach. It's very much in line with Intel's corporate DNA. You know, we as a company all focus on open standards and open ecosystems where we invite, you know, all everyone who wants to participate to join so that you can have, um, you know, lots of variation, lots of solutions, lots of different um, companies, um, you know, building this rich, vibrant uh, you know, ecosystem as opposed to a more proprietary uh, silent approach. So this confidential compute consortium, uh, I mentioned Intel is a co-founder, but it has broad industry support. It includes companies like Microsoft and Google and Red Hat and many others all working together to make confidential computing easier to use and, and more pervasive. So I'm glad we're a part of that and hope it um, is successful. Yes, that's fantastic. Uh, now, Michael, I do want to talk to you about the healthcare AI market because it is projected to be a $46 billion market within the next five years. So how do you see it changing the landscape of healthcare in the future? Yeah, and that's like billion with a B. I mean, that is just an amazing economic impact of, of AI and, you know, what is one of the biggest pieces of the GDP in the country, right? So there is a lot on the line here. And when you turn that into, you know, the human impact of it, there is a tremendous opportunity to improve the quality of care, reduce the cost of care. So everyone's very, very excited about the AI opportunity. In healthcare, we tend to get very excited about the new technology that's coming along and there's a lot of promise. I think the challenge with it is that all that opportunity is absolutely true. There is plenty of opportunity in healthcare to take out waste, take out costs, improve quality. It gets back to where we started though. The algorithms are relatively straightforward to develop an algorithm that performs well on a very limited data set. You can get it to the point where it demonstrates clinical impact on that data set. The challenge that we see over and over and over again is when you expose it to the broader world, the algorithm isn't generally applicable. It doesn't generalize across the populations and the accuracy and the performance falls off dramatically to the point where very difficult to argue for its use. And that's why, to Chris's point, there aren't a lot of de novo algorithms that have gotten through 
the FDA regulatory process, or even had market approval for clinical algorithms. So we've got to get over this hump. We've got to get access and rapid access to much broader data sets, much more diverse data sets to really get to anywhere close to that $46 billion. I don't know if it matters if it's 10 billion or 50 billion. This is, you know, healthcare, we are all overwhelmed as providers with tremendous amounts of data, tremendous amounts of new guidelines, new scientific discoveries. And we've outstripped the individual's ability to put all that in their brain and make the right decision. So we need this technology. We need the algorithms that can perform reliably. And as we've been talking about, that means getting access to the data and that means confidential computing. Yeah, in the US, we, we spend... $3.8 trillion a year on healthcare, 18% of the GDP. One in three adults globally have multiple chronic conditions. Um, you know, we're, there's more people over the age of 65 now than under the age of five. And we're faced with a shortage of caregivers. So it's really, really a supply and demand problem we have in, in healthcare. And it's getting worse. So AI will help the industry, you know, better target the scarce resources it has where they can be most useful. Helping, uh, be, helping organizations become less reactive and more, uh, proactive and predictive. And so what, you know, one, one example of that, it would be, you know, really rigorous risk, risk stratification. Um, so that, you know, the, the highest risk patients for a given condition or, or outcome can be, um, can be prioritized. You know, you can, you can in advance prevent a condition from emerging or a, a patient from being transferred in the ICU or, or admitted to the ER. So that's, that's, I think, how AI is having today and will, will over time grow to have really a, a, a huge impact to address some of those, those mega challenges. Yeah, it really is going to be exciting to see how it changes things. And, and like you just mentioned, and Michael mentioned, it has the potential to save so many lives, change so many things for the better. So it, it's going to be a lot of fun to see what happens there. Um, and Chris, before we wrap up, is there anything you would like our listeners to consider in relation to this work? Any any parting thoughts? Yeah, I think I mean I think our listeners know that data in healthcare is federated, it's distributed, it's siloed. Yeah, for even one patient, there's multiple healthcare providers, multiple electronic health record systems, genomic data, um, claims data from the from the payers. If the data is federated, you know, for a, for a lot of use cases, it makes sense for the compute to be federated too. So if you can um, make it straightforward to send an application or algorithm to the data where it sits, it really addresses so many complexities around de-identifying the data and copying the data and moving the data and sharing the data and keeping the data in sync and paying for the storage and the networking costs and all these things. So this, this emerging class of multi-party analytic use cases uh, is really a, a great fit for confidential computing and uh, and Intel SGX. And we're really excited about working with the industry to help help address those and, and um, improve healthcare. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation with both of you today. Michael Blum, MD, Chris Goff, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me on this exciting topic. And if folks want to learn more about confidential computing, where should they go? Well, at, at uh, intel.com slash SGX is the Intel site where you can learn more about um, confidential computing and the confidential computing consortium and the, and the underlying technology. Yeah, um, they can go to our website at beekeeperai.com. 
and they can understand what the platform does, how it works, how it works for the model, the algorithm developers, as well as the data stewards and, you know, reach out, get in touch, and we're happy to talk to folks. Wonderful. Thank you both so much for taking time today to, to share your expertise with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Hillary. My pleasure. And I want to thank all of you for listening to this episode of Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things group. Make sure that you are subscribing to this channel on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Google Podcasts or Simplecast, wherever you get your podcasts to hear more from the Intel Internet of Things group. And we'll be back with more episodes in the very near future. But until then, I've been your host, Hillary Kennedy. Thanks so much for listening. 